you go ahead and turn your Bibles over to John uh, and, the, and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 4. Go ahead and turn to that. We're continuing this series called Live Like Jesus. Now, what we're trying to do is to step back and say, if you were one of those early disciples and you walk with Jesus day after day after day, what would be the lessons that they learned that we need to learn? Now, the other thing is we're trying to pinpoint one word every Sunday to really focus in on. Last week, the word was relational. So Jesus, the Son of God, came and He lived with us, walked with us, uh, lived every day with us. Okay, think about that. Emmanuel, with us, and that is all about relationships. He wants a personal relationship with you. Today, what we're going to get into is the word intentional. Everything Jesus did was intentional. It wasn't random. Jesus was truly on a mission. I read this article recently uh, by a Kelly Dunn, an educational expert. Listen to what she talks about. She describes being an intentional teacher. She said this, an intentional teacher, they're always aware that every minute in a classroom is precious and valuable. Planning ahead, keeping students on task, eliminating distractions are priorities for an intentional teacher. Intentional teachers are critical thinkers, constantly researching, innovating ways to reach students. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? And I want you to think about the best teachers you've ever had, creative teachers. And remember when you were a kid, you thought that just happened. Like all these colors and all these markers and all the, all the lesson playing, like they just woke up and like it's boom right there. You don't realize until you try to put a creative lesson together how hard that is, and the work that goes into that. It's extremely intentional. I love what G.K. Chesterton said about Jesus and his intentionality. Listen. The life of Jesus went swift and straight as a thunderbolt in the manner of a military march, certainly in the manner of a quest of a hero moving to his achievement or doom every day Jesus lived, he was intentional. He was intentionally taking one step closer to the cross every day. Everything he did was for us. It wasn't random. And Jesus knew as he modeled how to live life that these disciples were all taking mental notes about what it meant to be like Jesus. And here was one thing. You need to be intentional. We all need to be intentional. So this morning, as we get into John 4, we're going to talk about the where, the why, and the what of this story. And I hope you see how important it is in the heart of intentional discipleship. The where, the why, and the what. So first of all, let's talk about the where, why this is so important. John chapter 4, pick it up in verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea. He went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. When he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus tried, as was, was tired from his journey, and he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, you notice there's a couple of really important things there I want to point out. 
the first one that's really cool, uh, the Pharisees now are really nervous about Jesus. Why? Well, John the Baptist was getting a lot of attention, and there was a movement starting, and now they thought that they captured John the Baptist, that they were going to be okay, but now Jesus has this, this message of hope, and more and more people are wanting to follow Jesus, and now they are extremely nervous because more people are getting baptized now with Jesus than even John the Baptist. But if you look at the text, did you notice it wasn't Jesus who was doing the baptizing? Who was it? The disciples. So if you're visiting with us, I want to share with you something right now. At the end of this message, we're going to have an invitation. And God may be pulling at your heart to get baptized. You may be thinking, you know what, I've thought about that, but I don't have time today. I've got to go to lunch. Well, quit making excuses. This may be the day you're like, I need to do this. And one thing you'll notice here, which is very unique, you're probably looking and thinking, I bet the baptistry is behind that curtain. And you'd be wrong. It's a horse trough, okay? It's in the back. You're like, oh, I'm definitely not getting baptized, okay? But here's the thing that I love so much that we do here, and I started this a few years ago, is I always ask anybody who gives their life to Christ, who's getting baptized, who's a part of your story? Who had the greatest influence on you? And whoever they give me that name, I say, good, because I'm going to contact them because I want them to be a part of your baptism. And when I contact those people, you know what they say? I've never baptized anybody. I know, but you're getting ready to. Well, I'm going to mess it up. No, you, you bump, dunk them. You know, I mean, come on. Nobody's drowned. <laughs> well, one, but it was, it was freaky. You know, I mean, anyway, it's a good thing. But see, all of you, I hope this is on your bucket list. I want to baptize somebody in Jesus Christ. I want to bring someone to Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of their story. Don't you love that Jesus has taken these disciples and he's saying, this is so amazing, isn't it? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, now, you need to go baptize them. Can you imagine Jesus watching you baptize? You think they were nervous? Oh, man, you know they were nervous. But Jesus was always modeling and always training. That's what I love about Jesus. And now what Jesus is doing is really something else. He is intentionally going to take these disciples and take them basically into a culture that was completely out of their comfort zone. But here's what you all need to understand, all of us. True faith grows out of the end of your comfort zone. You get to the very end of your comfort zone, and that's where faith begins. Jesus does this all the time. Now, why is this so important? Well, let me give you just a, a little bit of a historical background because this is important. They're going through Samaria, and this is why that's so important. Samaria was located north from where they were at in Judah, and people would actually go, the Jewish people would go around Samaria. They hated them so much. That hatred started all the way back in Genesis 48 because it's there that Jacob then became Israel, blessed Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and the sons were half Jewish and half Egyptian. So the Jewish people felt like, why are they getting the blessing? Hundreds of years later, when Israel broke up into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, in the northern kingdom, that was Samaria, they allowed anyone who was Jewish to marry anyone outside of the Jewish faith. And they also adopted a new religious style. And here's what it was. They would honor the first five books of the Old Testament, and then they also incorporated some pagan beliefs. 
Well, the Jewish people in the southern kingdom said, no way. We only believe in the Old Testament. We only marry the Jewish people. And yet, look what's going on in Samaria. So they actually avoided Samaria completely. So imagine Jesus telling the disciples, guess what? We're going to go through Samaria. And they're like, well, Jesus, you know, that's not the route. We, you know, they, you don't argue with Jesus, okay? And so you've got to know that as soon as Jesus issued that instruction and walked away, they were like, seriously, does Jesus know how dangerous that is to go to Samaria? Now, do we have places like that in Indiana? What do you think? Are there places like your, I call them the lock the door places? You know what I'm saying? Hey, kids, lock the doors. Put the window down, honey. Put the window up, honey. You know that? Do we have those places? Do we have those places in Bloomington? Yes, there is not. A, there, every area that I know of, there are places like you're like, oh, I don't know if you need to go there. You shouldn't go there at a certain time. And yet that's exactly where Jesus is going to send them. It's where he wants to send us. I love this observation by Dan Spader and Mark Edwards. It's a study book that I've done. And they said, when Jesus had these 18 months of training with the disciples, he sent them on seven fishing trips, went with them, and five mission trips. Now, let me explain what a fishing trip is. I love this. A fishing trip is an intentional experience through which Jesus trains his disciples creative ways to share the good news of God's kingdom. There it is. In other words, he gets them out of their comfort zone. He takes them somewhere outside of where they live. He said, now I want you to see how I share the good news because you've got to get good at this, okay? Number two, mission trips is a trip into a cross-cultural experience. If you've never been on a mission trip, I mean out of the country, here's what's going to happen. It will change your life. Why? Because you see the world totally different. Jesus knew that. So he's always pushing the disciples to get out of their comfort zone. Now, uh, people over the years have asked me, tell me about the West Side. And I used to think that's funny. I'd say, oh, you want me to tell you the West Side story? And I noticed unless you're like 60 and above, you're like, yeah, that's not even funny. So anyway, I still think it's kind of funny. But here's the West Side story, that, the part of the story that I, I love to tell. And that is uh, the first Sunday was May 10th, 2015. But that's not when the West Side started. That's just the first Sunday that we met every Sunday. Let me tell you when it started. I was meeting with a, a guy, and I'd call him every month, and he'd give me a checklist of what you need to do before you launch a multi-site or a church plant. We went through all this planning, and he said, don't get hung up on that launch date. You can always change that date. Matter of fact, that's just a day, kind of like a wedding and a marriage. Is there a difference between a wedding and a marriage? Oh, please. Okay, what is a wedding? It's a day. What is a marriage? It's a lifetime, okay? It's the same thing. You can launch a church on a certain day, but guess what? That's a day. He said, you got to pray about beyond that Sunday, and here's how you survive. He said, you need to get folks who will commit for one year to do whatever it takes to keep that place open. Every person who signs that card needs a job to do. You don't need them to just show up. They have to serve. And he said, make that your number one priority. 87 people signed those cards. That's why we're here today. Because they did what? They got out of their comfort zone. Do you think that was, I mean, seriously, I am so grateful that there was a group of people who said, that's not going to be easy. We're meeting in a neutral site. 
our prayer room's a bar. The men meet at a pole barn. I could go on and on and on. And they're like, oh, I can't wait to do that. No, no, you got to set up every Sunday. you got to tear down every Sunday. We baptize folks in the horse trough. I mean, I'm sure that's a great, that's a winning point for so many people. No, they're like, I don't know. But I'm so thankful that 87 said, I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone. Listen, we have to keep striving to get out of our comfort zone. What is it in your life right now where you sense spiritually you're too comfortable? Because you're probably there. There's probably an area of your life, you know what, I've got really passive with this. And that's not where Christ wants us to be. He's going to insist that we go on fishing trips with him, that we're willing to go on mission trips with him to get out of our comfort zone. That where is so important, but so is the why. Why is this conversation in John 4 so important? It's because the world still needs living water. Let's pick it up in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Let me pause there. Now where are they? They're in Samaria. very first thing Jesus does is he said, Now go into town and get some food. What do you think their question was? Aren't you going? It's a Samaria. They know we're Jewish. And he's like, you'll, you'll do fine. And I can just see him like, we're going to die. We're going to die. You know, and they go, and Jesus is there. It's noon. Verse 9, a Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what? Living water. Sir, said the woman, you have nothing to draw with. This well is so deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than the, our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. You know her head is spinning. Who is this guy? First of all, he breaks a couple cultural uh, standards right away. A Samaritan talking to a Jew, that's not supposed to happen and a Jewish man talking to a woman at noon, that's not supposed to happen. Right away, Jesus throws both of those cultural standards right out the window. Why? Because he's got living water. And she's talking about physical water. Jesus is like, man, you're not getting it. You're going to get it, but you don't get it yet. You need hope. And the water that I'm giving you is for all eternity. Conversations matter. Shurdok says a couple of, I think, great things. One of them, the furniture drive, they collect uh, just thousands of uh, pieces of furniture over the years. We can't even, there's not even a number of how many pieces of furniture come in over all these years. But here's their motto, and I love, our goal is to go from couches to conversations. They, they want an opportunity with the international students to be able to share Jesus Christ. And a couple of years ago, we started a ministry called One Life. We just want you to pray for one person who needs Jesus Christ for a spiritual conversation. Sean Green just shared the other day at an elders meeting, he held up his iPad and he said, I want to show you a cool picture. 
and I don't remember where the creek was, but it was down near Bedford, and he said, this is so-and-so who baptized his one life. This is a guy he's been praying for, and he wanted to get baptized in a creek, and we baptized him in a creek. Let me tell you, I hope all of you are praying for someone who needs Jesus Christ, who needs living water. Now remember, I think it's important that we study the message of Jesus, but what's the method of Jesus? So what I want to share with you is to, to sh the method Jesus used in this conversation. And I think this will help all of us to see that we can have the same type of conversation. Here's the first thing. Did you notice? Jesus listened well. Uh, this was in Claudia Mitchell's office, and I love this quote. Being heard is so close to being loved for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. When you really listen to someone, that's the most important thing you could possibly do is to listen. And I mean really listen. So Jesus was listening to this woman at the well, and he knew, and she knew. We're not talking about physical water here. I think she knew all along, like, he's not talking about physical water, but I'm not sure where this conversation is going, so I'm going to talk about the well. You know, I think Jesus is just allowing her to share, but he's listening. He's not looking over her. He's not looking through her. He is listening to her. And it's so important that we listen to other people's stories. It's so important that we learn to listen. I had a guy a few years ago, and I called him the look-over guy because he would be talking to you, but he's always looking over you to see if there's somebody more important coming in. And I don't know, you've never dealt with that, I'm sure. But anyway, uh, I still remember the day he said, hey, John, how's that going? And I said, Bob, how you doing? I didn't even have to turn around because I'm like, I know Bob is probably going to get you places that you know I can't. You ever know folks like that? Or have you ever, this is, ministers are bad about this. Ministers have so many, my, Maria always say, John, for Pete's sake, how many stories do you, okay, ministers have a story for everything. So you're listening, and you're not really listening, you're what? You're talking, you're thinking about the best story to connect. Oh, that's really good. You got your wisdom teeth? <laughs> I got one better than that. You know, so we jump, we can't wait to tell our story. Listen, actually listen. Here's the second thing. Don't bail when a conversation gets deep or messy, because it will. If you're, you're praying for a spiritual conversation, it's going to get eventually messy. A few years ago, I had this Bible study. There's a group of guys, and they called themselves, I let them name the group, and we were called the Wild Hogs, and which was dumb because nobody even had a motorcycle. Uh, one of the guys was Doug Ballard, or some of you know who Doug Ballard is. He goes, hey, I saw the movie. I like the movie. We're like, okay, Doug, if you want it, I'll take it up for a vote. Who wants the wild hogs? Nobody's going to vote against Doug Ballard. So anyway, we're the wild hogs, okay? So um, we, had, we had met for a few weeks. We were meeting. I remember the very first time getting back together in the summer, going around the circle. We had a couple of visitors, and I said, hey, uh, just introduce yourself and uh, a little bit about yourself if you're a visitor. And, you know, this is like casual conversation, okay, to get, get us launched again. And we get to this guy named Tony, and he's like, oh, my, my life is falling apart. And he's just balls. You know, men are not good in that situation. We're ready to bail. And I'm like, um, hey, how about those jelly donuts, huh? You know, I'm wanting to do anything. And we're looking, nobody says anything. And he said, I, I moved here, and I'm telling you, uh, my wife right now is so mad at me because we left family, 
and this job I'm at, I'm telling you, it's not working out. And he said, I just ache inside. My kids are mad at me. My wife is mad at me. I can't stand my job. And I showed up yesterday at church, and I saw this thing, wild hogs, and I'm like, oh, why not? I feel so bad, you know? So I, and then he just, it got worse. And we sat there, and you ever had that awkward silence? And, uh, and now they're looking at me like, oh, you're the minister. You deal with it, you know? And I, I didn't have, and I said, Tony, I don't even know what to say. I said, I know you're hurting so bad right now. And uh, I can't make any promises other than this. Um, you may feel like you don't have any friends, but this morning, right now, you have a room of guys, and we're going to be your friends. And wherever this thing goes, we got your back. Because that's what hogs do. You know, anyways. <laughs> and and uh, he kind of wiped the tears away. And, and uh, man, it was intense. A few years later, randomly, um, I was at church, and I ran into Tony in the hallway. He had moved. Uh, eventually, he actually got back to his hometown, and he was beaming. And he said, John, I just want to personally thank you. And I want to thank those guys. You have no idea how broken I was. And I'm like, I, yeah, yeah, we knew. We knew. You were pretty bad. And he's like, no, no, you don't, you don't understand. I just needed someone to hear me out and just somebody to just be there. And I'm just so thankful because I, I want to do that for somebody. I'm like, Tony, I know you will. I'm just telling you all the times we have when we have these conversations, don't bail. Now, does that mean there's times when I look at my life that I have bailed? Yeah, I have. I thought this is so hard, but don't bail. And then remember love and hope. What I love about the woman, there's a, a famous Beatles song, all you need is love. That's just not true. We do need love, but you know what else we need? We need hope. She needed to experience the love of Jesus, but she needed to experience hope. He gave her both. Rabbi, teacher. Don't you love that about Jesus? Matter of fact, I love it. If you drop down to verses 31 and 32, when the disciples came back, this is so cool. The disciples come back, and they're proud of themselves. Hey, look, Jesus, we didn't get killed. And uh, we look at all the food, and, and uh, you want some, Jesus, you got to be starving. And Jesus is like, no, no. The food that I have, no man could understand. You'll never be thirsty again. And they're like, no, nah, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it at all. You know, they're, they're, their heads are just spinning. But I want you to listen as Jesus describes what's about to happen. Look at verse 38. And this is so important. This is the what of the story. What matters most is that the good news is the best news. Here's what he says. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. You know what he's about to witness? All these people from this area in Samaria are coming to them, wanting to hear about Jesus, and their heads are spinning like, how in the world did that happen? Well, it happened because of this woman's testimony, okay? And here's the coolest part. Others, before they got there, came to Samaria. Think about that. Jesus already knew that. He knows, you know, there were people who followed John, and they came to Samaria. They got out of their comfort zone, and they let people know that a Messiah was coming, and they heard the words that maybe the Messiah was here, and that's all it took. I love what Nate said this morning. There are others in your life. They paved the way so that you can follow Jesus Christ. We want to be that for other people. We want to be the others that someday kids can look back and say, I remember so-and-so who believed in me. 
We need to step up just like she stepped up with her testimony. Think about that. Verse 39 tells us that all of these Samaritans, they believed. Why? Because of her story and her testimony. So let me ask you something. If you had one minute to share your story of Jesus Christ, if your conversation was one minute, what would you say? What would you say? Now think about one minute. And what would you say about the love and the hope of Jesus Christ? What's your story? Because we all have one. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. To give an answer to everyone who wants a reason for your hope. The hope that you have in Jesus Christ. What would you share? I asked Ben um, if I could share this. This is Ben Lovato. Ben uh, is drumming this morning. And uh, uh, Ben was so open and has been open with me the times that we've met about how far he was and finding his way back to God. And a couple of weeks ago, he shot me this text and I asked him, can I share part of this text? Because I said, it, it really did something to me. And he gave me permission to share this. Uh, ben had a friend who's going through a lot of serious issues. And here's what he said in text. I'm with him. He's with his friend. And I'm trying to help him to stay strong and to encourage him. I used to have problems too. And I wish I could go out to the worst places and help people out. I have such a burden to help people who need a second chance in life because I needed a second chance. Can you relate to that? That may be your story. People really don't care that much about you, but you know what they need to hear about? Jesus Christ. That wherever you've been, whatever you've done, however far you've run from God, you have a second chance. Do you think people still need to hear about a second chance? Absolutely. They need to hear. They still need to know that they're loved and that there's hope. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.